Hello everyone, and welcome to DataFem, where we engage you with stories of how innovators across the globe are using data to achieve new heights in their respective industries. I'm Danielle, the founder of Decayo Data, and I'm here with my friends, Daria Malone and Meg Pirong, and we're going to have a discussion about the job search in tech, specifically for black and brown women. And in the middle of the episode, I have a bit of a treat for my local New Orleans listeners. This episode is actually sponsored by the city of New Orleans, and they have a lot of jobs open that require the skills that some of you are so diligently learning. So without further ado, I'm going to invite you to sit back, relax, and tune in to our conversation. Well, I'm so glad to have both of you here. We're here to talk about the job search. And I have Daria Malone, who we went to college together at Northwestern. And we're both into a lot of different things, but um, we talked just a lot about jobs and career paths and data. So um, those are themes that will come up along with mental health, which brings me to how I met Megan. And we were in the Twitter spaces, which we will definitely be discussing. Um, it's uh, the newest rage, and I'm sure most of my listeners are already participating. Um, but we met during we met during one of the Twitter spaces, and we were talking about tech careers, but in the larger theme of mental health. So that inspired both of us to step up and talk in a space for the first time because talking about mental health is something we all three have in common and it's something that really deserves to be mentioned in most conversations um, it's that important so we are going to be sharing ideas and laughs and theories mm -hmm. and are happy that you're here to listen in on us um, i'm gonna let the ladies introduce themselves meg do you want to go first yeah, so uh, hey everyone, uh, thanks for having me on your podcast. Um, I'm Meg, I am a product designer. I have a BS in computer science, a PhD in computational bioscience, and design is my one true love. I'm Daria, like Danielle said, we met at Northwestern 10 plus years ago, I think. Um, by undergrad was in psychology and then my grad was in biomedical sciences and I fell in love with tech just throughout my college career I've always uh, stayed interested in it in the way it affects society and Danielle kind of got me more interested in the data side it, I like more the project management side of it unlike May who mentioned product design <laughs> yep. uh, but yes that's about me yeah, it's really cool to see how all of the design plus an understanding of science really works together because 
at some point in the past few years, we became data scientists. It's a new thing. You just realize how all of us kind of have all these random interests. And I always felt really out of place because I couldn't elevate or pitch myself. I'd always be mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. well, I like this thing. And then I like this thing. It's like I had to choose which persona to be almost to make sense to people. But here in data science, I just see a lot of us who literally do everything. And it's like the renaissance of the new, like, you know, renaissance woman or superhuman because, you know, why can't you do it all? And why do you even have to share what you do anyway to be in that situation? Right. <laughs> yeah. But that leads me into um, what we are here to talk about. I mean, we might deviate and talk about all sorts of other things, but the main thing that we're here to discuss is just tech careers, which means a lot to a lot of people. So we're just going to kind of share our experiences about that um, and wanting to break into that, expiring to break into that. So it matters where you have a job. So we're going to talk about, you know, the job search, how to keep your mental health and sanity during it. And also where it's not going to end there, it's, you know, part of the job search is being able to envision how you'll actually feel at the company. So we're not gonna stop the discussion when you get the job that is not the end of the story. Um, there are major things to keep in mind and um, I'm really excited to hear what we all have to say. What would help is to kind of define what we're saying by job hunt. Um, I feel like a lot of my listeners are very much pursuing a career like we all have visions for our career but that doesn't mean at some points you just don't you know you just don't need to take a job not only for money but just kind of like to get that experience you're not getting like just have that experience and then add it and go on with your career so i'm wondering what you two think about you know what defines a job versus a career and like how do you fall into one or the other and does it matter to know that when you're coming into the job search space? I think of a job search as kind of like a means to an end. The job search, I feel like it's like, I want to make money, I have bills, I, or maybe I need to step up in what my pay scale is. And I feel like that might be the driving force as opposed to a, something that is going towards your career where there is a dedicated path. And you're more intentional on what you are choosing. And that's not to say that money is not a driving factor in career either, but I think that it becomes less of a factor when you're on your career goal. It's like you're trying to make certain steps to get to what that end goal is, while job is like, I'm just doing what needs to be done at this point in my life. Yeah, I would definitely echo um, what Daria said. That's how I defined it when I was thinking about it. Uh, a job is something that pays the bills. And a career is sort of that core idea and passion and thing that you as the person in, in this uh, system want to do with your life, the thing that gives you joy that you enjoy. Definitely. And it's interesting because I guess really before this conversation started, I thought of a job purely in, you know, pay the bills, the actual money. But then when we started talking, I'm thinking about it and I'm like, 
data scientists right now or as tech professionals or as business professionals with a career, you have to know so much to build <laughs> up that career. Like, and I'm, I'm speaking from experience that I don't know SQL as well as I should. I don't know Python <laughs> as well as I should. And I don't design as well as I should, you know, like all of these things that I just have to kind of put together. So I do think that I have noticed a lot of people, um, taking jobs that are specific to that area. You don't want to stay there. You want to move on and apply that to your career. But sometimes you kind of have to take a step back and like, you know, basically save up that skills money, you know, <laughs> instead that skills value like you would um, saving up a salary like for money. Um, I don't know if that made sense, but I'd like to hear your thoughts. No, it definitely made sense. I that's why I'm saying um, that I think that career has more intention. So you may take a position because you're like, oh, I need this skill or this experience to get to what my end goal is or my five-year goal is. While a job, you're like, whatever it is, I will take it because it's paying, you know, in tech, 175000 a year, maybe even more. It's not so much that you are passionate about it or you have that as what you want to do with life but you know it makes it taste well. Um, I also think that career, even if you don't have an end goal, I think a lot of people have what they have an idea of what they want to do within five years or 10 years when you're thinking about a career or they may have a mentor who's guiding them. The intention is different. So what you said about trying to pick up different skills in tech, it's definitely true for people who have a career paths in their mind. I love how you brought up the word passion because that's sort of what came to mind for me too. At least when I define like career versus job, like when I've gotten to this point uh, in my employment journey <laughs> uh, where I have decided to call something a job, uh, you know, rather than my career, it means that for one reason or another, I've lost that passion that meant that I would think about this all the time and really be passionate about it. Like when it's a job, it's like, like you said, there's something that I need to get out of this and I'm getting it done. But my career is essentially a, a dissertation of jobs that I've had. You pick up a bunch of jobs and you somehow along the way, you've become a product designer yeah. because you've picked up all these different experiences and degrees um, or sometimes with careers, you know, it's your passion. So you allow more leeway in what you will deal with. Everyone is talking about their long-term, short-term goals, and it's actually really inspiring. You know, it can get kind of tried and cheesy after like hours of it, but like it's, you know, the first few, it's really interesting to hear what people's, you know, yearly five-year, 10-year goals are. Do you feel like that outlook is, helpful to everyone or do you think some people need more or less structure this pandemic has actually taught me a lot in that you can't always plan everything i thought i was going to do this and then within like a year or two i would move to another position and i had personal plans that i was planning to do and i had talked through with danielle and everything and it kind of all went to hell in a handbasket <laughs> and so now when anyone asks me like, oh, when do you plan to personal or career? Like, what do you plan on doing? I'm like, you know what? What happens, happens definitely for my <laughs> personal life. <laughs> like, I'm not stressing about this. If it's meant to happen, it will happen. And then for 
uh, career, I have gotten less strict on what I think I will do. I'm not still not sure exactly what I will end up doing. But what I have done is I find a few people that I think their career is impressive. And I have looked at what they have done in their pathways and seen like, oh, how they have changed along the way or if they've stayed the same pathway to create my own, not goals because I've decided that's not the way I wanna think about things, but steps that I think that will be helpful to accomplish larger uh, accomplishments. So I wanted to take a quick break to talk about this episode's sponsor, which is the city of New Orleans, the place that I've grown to know and love. Some of you may remember when Whitney Sonskin, she's one of the main voices in data for the city of New Orleans. If you've listened to previous DataFab episodes, you'll know that I am very passionate about the city's open data portal. When I said that I have a treat for my local listeners, it's true. Whitney's office is actually hiring for several jobs that require data skills that I know that many of you are either working on or very skilled at or somewhere in between. So the first job that she told me about is a data visualization developer, and that will involve working in Power BI to make visualizations. She's also hiring an IT specialist. So if you're the person who's always fixing everybody's computer, that might be cool to look into. There's also a project manager job, and that job focuses specifically on disaster resilience and operations, something that is very necessary and important to New Orleans in particular. And if you're slightly techie with a big passion for diversity and inclusion, there is a digital equity project manager position available to apply as well. What's really, really fortunate is that you do not have to go off my descriptions of these jobs. They will be listed in great detail in the show notes on every platform. So you can definitely check those out. I recommend that if any of the jobs interest you, reach out to me directly, either on Twitter or dikayo at dikayodata.com. That way I can put you in touch with Whitney directly and see if it could be a good fit. If you're from 504 Ward or New Orleans Business Alliance or Idea Village and you're listening to this, please feel free to contact me about listing similar data related jobs on this podcast. I would love to network more and have a bigger presence in New Orleans now that it seems in-person events are no longer out of the picture. I want to turn this talk in the pandemic towards tech-related fields. I know that all of us have so many skills, right? Like we haven't just worked in tech positions, but I'm sure, but I mean, it's relevant to any position. Earlier on in my career, I was a designer at Pacific Northwest National Lab. Um, so it's like a DOE funded national lab 
that particular national lab had a scientific um, computing focus as opposed to other national labs, which might have like a weapons focus. But in any case, like even like my first week there, I was like staying late uh, to try and help out, to try and make an impact, to try and, um, you know, let people know that I was there to do good work and to, to be a great employee. And now I don't do that anymore um, through the various jobs that I've had. I've tried to, for myself, more accurately represent what that relationship is and making sure that it feels like a fair relationship as any other relationship is. Um, so that I feel like I'm getting as much out of my job as I'm putting into it rather than feeling like I'm putting a ton in and really not getting that much out. In, in my past, I would have worked through it. I would have put myself second and put the work first. And I don't do that anymore. And I'm proud that I don't do that anymore. And I think that that's how like we should give ourselves that kind of grace. Um, I think a lot of people are starting to learn that through this. I 1000% agree with you, Megan. Like, I think that's what led me to leave my position. I felt like, I, as I had talked to Danielle about this privately, I felt like I was giving so much to my job and I wasn't getting the same back in multiple ways. And it's, people talk about the great resignation, but they don't put context to it a lot of the time. Most of it's like, everyone's quitting. But if you look at it, First of all, the highest turnover is for young adults, which makes sense that it's generally a uh, age that has high turnover to begin with. Mm -hmm. But also, it's mostly in food and service work. They have be, been deemed essential during this. And at first, everyone's clapping for you. And then everything opens up again. And people are treating you horribly. And it's like, why do I have to be treated like this um, if I am deemed essential? And it is more of them trying to empower them, themselves to let them know, you know, I am essential if I do not work here. And if you, I am not given the pay that I uh, am required to live a decent quality of life. In terms of tech, I don't think that it applies as much. There isn't as high turnover. But what does apply is that people are looking at the culture of their companies. Mm -hmm. And especially if you are a minority, if you're Black, you're a woman, you're LGBTQ, why am I taking this from them? Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> these companies all have these great missions, but when it comes time for the workers, it's not being applied to them. I feel like everything you're saying is coming down to the whole concept of knowing your worth. We know our worth, but if knowing our worth means that we suffer in society like the payoff isn't always great for knowing your worth you know the phrase ignorance is bliss i think mm -hmm. about that with so many things in the world like i wish i didn't know how many people didn't care about their fellow human beings by being anti-maskers or anti-vaxxers you know like it sometimes i wish i i just didn't know um how many people out there don't care about protecting the rest of us because I care very deeply about those sorts of things when you do know your worth and you don't feel like you're being valued at that level it's rough it's really really 
really rough. I think this pandemic has opened people's eyes to a lot of systems that are unfair. There are Mm -hmm. certain people that have always been aware of. I think if we're talking in terms of health, disabled people have always known and they've been saying what's going to happen this whole entire time during the pandemic and nobody has listened to them. I've become aware of we are a late stage capitalist society. It needs to be a mass recognition because knowing it, you're like you said, knowing it yourself, and then be, then you feel like you're stuck. You're like, I know I could be making more. I know I could be contributing more, and I could have a job that treats me better. But then you're stuck because you're in that system of paying bills and just trying to yep. survive. That is so debilitating mentally. Like yes. it will wear you down till you get depression. You feel stuck in your position. That stage from moving from knowing yourself worth to actually putting it into actions and making that career shift is so hard. And I feel like that's what people are trying to come to terms with. That's why you're seeing so many Twitter spaces and boot camps and everything else, because people are trying to make a shift into a career that allows them to be a person, not just a cog in, right. <laughs> in the system. That's really true. I think that we're all trying to figure it out in lifetime. Maybe back in the 1700s, they were, you know, people's trying to start a revolution sitting at the pub. But we won't do that, (laughs) you know, because we are the cyber generation and we also can't do that safely. And so this is our version of that. This is our version of the revolution. So people who are in Twitter spaces and people who are having conversations, I mean, that is telling history right now and something that's very, very important. It's just when you're living it, you're also going to buy your groceries and like, you know, doing the laundry and, <laughs> you know, feeding your cats and all that stuff. Like, <laughs> so it's, it's hard to recognize how pivotal it is in lifetime, but that's basically what we're doing. There's a lot of content out there that you don't have to pay for that's super valuable. And the people who actually want to help Um, and want to bring people along with them, they're not out there being grifters trying to, you know, get in your pocketbook. Like there are so many people out here who who genuinely just want to help their fellow person. Um, So I I would suggest, you know, seeking out those people before like assuming that paying money for something means that it's better content. There will always be free content because I think like a lot of us understand how important that is. And nowadays content is data and i think there's a lot of free content just because coding in general is supposed to be open source well i want to get back kind of to the job search in terms of hacks that are both helpful for the success of your job search but also how to take care of your mental health during this process networking is how i've um gotten a lot of the the leads that I'm currently following up on is by uh, having a network of people that I've enjoyed working with and therefore I then you know trust their recommendations of places that they've been at or people that they've worked with that they enjoyed working with. I had always had uh, a hypothesis uh, that having that big name on your resume will get more people to reach out to you. But having not had the name yet, I didn't know whether or not that was true. Uh, having it, yes, it's true. 
Networking is super key because you might know someone at a company, they can refer you internally. That's always going to help you um, get a little bit ahead of, um, you know, like sort of cold applying all of those sorts of things that, you know, they'll tell you in a job search 101 sort of workshop. Those things really are true. Um, it just takes a little while and, and breaking in um, to get that network, to get your network uh, really solid. I don't think that working at a big name company means that you're better or worse than other candidates, but uh, that's just kind of how the world works. And it doesn't have to be such a scary thing. I remember when I was in MBA, my biggest pet peeve is when people deny that networking is necessary. Networking is the only way I've propelled myself in double time, if you know what I mean. It gets you in the door and then you sell yourself, you sell your services. Like you are what keeps you there. Yeah. So all the people that are like, I'm a great worker. I, I can do this. I can do that. That's great. But you need someone to present you because there are a ton of people out there applying for jobs. And it's all like white noise to these recruiters and to these hiring managers. Cold applying typically does not work. It's how yeah. I got my last job. And that is rare. It takes some age for people to realize that like networking is how this every industry runs. Yep. Um, and I think now with the pandemic, it's kind of left people a little rudderless, not being able to network when people are also trying to job search. And I think that's why some te technologies like Twitter and LinkedIn are so important. Um, I think those two primarily are great for networking. Yep. LinkedIn, you can do cold reach outs. Like if you're applying, don't just blindly apply, try and find a hiring manager and just message them and say, oh, I'm applying for this. This is my previous research. I would love to speak to you further about how my skills would be a good fit for this position. And at least that's a chance that their hiring manager will see that and maybe look you up. Twitter, it's actually a great place to naturally network. If you guys are talking about the same thing, you can see what that person's tweeting about, what that right. person feels about the industry and see if there's like some connection there and it kind of it helps build connections in a more natural way than LinkedIn. I do the reverse even where, you know, if I have been, uh, you know, contacted by a recruiter from the company, um, you know, like I might go look at their board and then go look at the Twitter accounts of the people that work there and see like, or, you know, the summer of 2020, like were y'all posting about the protests were going on or did your company pretend like nothing happened during that? You know, like you can also use that as a way for you to vet places that you want to work um, as well as just networking. Yeah. What is the criteria when you're vetting employers? I feel like that's kind of a new thing that I'm seeing a lot of conversations about. It's hard because now everybody knows the buzzwords where they're like, <laughs> oh, work-life balance or um, office, this office culture is great or, oh, we're a family. I'm like, oh, that's a red flag. Same, same. Yes, yeah. <laughs> we're always talking about that too, that like, don't just like send me on a canoeing trip or give me like a wine tasting. I love wine tasting. So for me to say this is extreme. And it's like, we're going to do these outings and, and team bonding. It's like, no, I don't want to waste my time with this. Like pay me more 
And then there's other things that actually matter to me. Like what is your sick MPTO time? Like, oh my gosh. So this reminds me, I had seen some information about them and I went to go look at their website and like listed under benefits was ERGs like employee resource groups. And I was just like, that's not a benefit. That's a core element of working at a workplace. You know, that's like saying that getting your paycheck on time is a benefit. Like what? Danielle, when you're like, oh, it's almost like people are interviewing the, the company now. Those are some of the things you should be looking at. Like, do they have ERG as a benefit? That's ridiculous. Red flag. What is your actual sick PTO time? Get on Glassdoor and set and see if they actually let you use your PTO time. And it comes back to knowing your worth. Like we Mm -hmm. all have so many qualifications and certificates, degrees, freaking awards. Like we have so much that somehow gets straightened down in an interview like they they are lucky that we looked at their little company i say this because i think everybody even at top management at these companies understands this and it's just that we're all trapped in the system it's important to recognize that like we've done all this work already and here's what i'm bringing to you i could take it somewhere else one of the topics of this podcast is mental health and we were just talking about benefits that like i want to talk about that shit too because it's so whack the ben- the mental health benefits that get offered like when people are struggling during our year the third year of the pandemic now here's a med a free subscription to a meditation app like that is so incredibly insufficient like that that's not mental health care it's not i am telling everybody to the rooftops about you know any kind of form of healing and how that is so necessary so if they're like like with hacks it's a hack to know that if you really really need goals to get past your trauma having a social worker slash therapist is really useful i never thought of that nobody ever told me you know <laughs> um, right yeah a lot of these things now, you have to find yourself like the yeah that's something like i figured mature. out that i'm telling every everybody who will listen and even if they don't listen i'm still gonna say it anyway because maybe it'll like take root somewhere because i've had people die in my family because of mental illness yep so you know i i could be saving a life you know every time i share something i know that is new you know we are evolving Yeah, I mean, the degradation of your mental health can lead to degradation of your physical health. I think mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, this pandemic has taught us that as well. And like you said, we're in our third year and it's been crazy where the, everyone's like, oh, you know, they send all those emails like, oh, hope all is well, but can yeah. you do this, this, and this? And it's like, you guys are literally making me work through society kind of <laughs> like falling Collapsing, apart. yeah. <laughs> like, like, society's kind of collapsing and you're just like, so are you going to be there for the 830 meeting? <laughs> it's like you need some mental health to uh, deal with that. And you need a job that ideally will be like, I can use my sick day just because like, I can't. Yeah, for a mental health day. Yeah. yeah. I literally, in 2020 with all the like protests, I literally had to call out because I was like, they were yeah. all bothering me and like messaging me and everything else. And I was like, I am falling apart right now. And yeah. You guys are messaging me about BS. And I'm like, I can't do this right now. <laughs> so I think 
you know, you really do need that mental health and, and a job that will prioritize it. And like, like we have both said, they will all say it, but you need to see the actual like quantifiable facts and evidence of it. Like the PTO, the mental health coverage, what is their turnover rate? They like, especially for minorities, they will all be like, oh, we have yes. any percentage of minorities that women or right. what's your retention rate though? Yeah, what's your Do retention they all leave rate? after just a year? Yeah, are they in leadership? Like, what, mm-hmm. what's going on? So, there's certain things you need to ask if you want to see what that uh, working for that company will actually be like, as opposed to just saying they are supportive for mental health and for uh, minorities. I had to take like a work training that was like, uh, you know, inclusivity, DEI um, sort of training. And one of the scenarios was like literally the thing that I was going through that day. One of the scenarios in this workplace training was another Black person has been killed by the police over the weekend. And then on Monday, you go to work as a Black person and everyone else acts like nothing happened. And I like that was the training scenario. And it was Monday. And that event had happened over the weekend. And I was just like, <laughs> what? The irony is <laughs> <in> that. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I mean, I, I took a screenshot and, and sent it to, you know, like the, the HR, whatever, like Slack in, in charge of the training and stuff like that. Like, I was just like, wow, this is wild. This is happening right now. You know, like, how, how do you have a training about this? But obviously that training has not, uh, you know, translated into the culture. I mean, it's happened for a while. I remember it was, I was like right after college with another position and I literally had to pull over in the car because I was sobbing so hard. Yeah. It hit me that yeah. morning. It yeah. makes you feel so other because you're feeling it so deeply and that they, it doesn't even cross their minds. This is deeply personal to me. I have a brother. I am a black woman. Like yep. I have uncles and cousins and everything else it's like this is this hurts I worry about my family and y'all are acting like everything is okay and it's crazy and then when 2020 happened you know you're working for companies and your consumers or who you work with could be that audience that is dealing with all the protests and all of the racism of society and the company cannot post anything and you're like looking around like yeah I really don't mean none of this at a workplace that I was at during the summer of 2020 I like took a photo of myself and then uh you know designeried it up and and made it into a Black Lives Matter avatar for myself and had it everywhere and uh literally uh, a person who worked at this workplace uh said that my Black Lives Matter icon on slack was triggering to this person because they were ex-law enforcement if i had gotten something like that i wish somebody would have said something <laughs> right, like that you know. to me because like honestly, they're lucky if we were remote because yeah <laughs> i would have been like ring ring pawn the hr because you were guys, like like they worked in hr they worked HR in hr so worse. first of all hr is there to protect the company the company they are not there. So you keep everything written, forward it to your own personal emails, whatever you need to do. But if someone had come with me, that's one of the things where I 
very quickly will will lose my like temper and be like, do not go off on these people. Do not go off on these people. Mm-hmm. And if someone had done done that, I would have been like, you know what? I'm gonna have to go off, and now I'm gonna just have to deal with the consequences afterward. <laughs> like, and it's one of those things where like it doesn't matter how old you are. You like I would call my parents and be like, this is what happened. Yeah. And they'd be like, are you? Am I insane? And once they say I'm not insane, I'm like, all right. I was the only black person at that entire workplace. When I started, there were two of us. And then I lost my my friend because he moved on to a different job. But like, yeah, it was it was a thing because it was even it was after the workplace had essentially asked me to to just to to fix it for them. Uh, and then to essentially have that as the response to me, like trying to, you know, present information uh, in an unbiased way to have someone come back and say that I was offending them by having a Black Lives Matter avatar was just wild. I mean, I can't put it on best too much because it's, it's <laughs> happened to someone else I know. So I'm not even going to say who it is or what company they were. Yeah. But they, during that, they were like, oh, we're going to do a, like a committee. Yeah. We're going to talk about diversity and everything. And, you know, they always put that onus on. Yep the black employees and it's like okay now I'm picking up extra responsibilities right when I'm already in a state like things are already more rough for me and now you want me to do extra work on top of my day job and no extra pay so (laughs) so they they did that but the person was like okay I, I will volunteer I've been in I've been working in corporate for over 25 years 30 years I have plenty of experience I will volunteer and I will do something they weren't chosen for the committee. It was like, this is a black person that is volunteering for a committee on diversity, one of the few in your company and you were not chosen. And I think it was just because they they wanted the appearance. They didn't want anyone to actually tell them what was going on. Yep. And then the committee met like once and then nothing ever happened. I feel like the story is all too common. And I find that that happens a lot in our current work environments. I have a lot of thoughts on the ways in which Web3 could make a real difference in diversity initiatives actually being taken seriously long-term and becoming sustainable, but that is gonna be for a whole nother episode. However, in the meantime, Meg and Daria and I would love to continue this conversation with all of you on Twitter, if you're all on Twitter. If you're not on Twitter, you might consider getting on Twitter just because there's a lot of meaningful discussion happening around mental health, the workplace, Web 2, Web 3, and especially, especially how to support black and brown women in the tech space. So I'm on Twitter at Data. Um, pretty simple. And you can find Meg and Daria's handles from there. Do not forget that if you are a data inclined individual looking to make a difference in the city of New Orleans where I live and thrive, please, please reach out and I will get you in touch with the right people to make this happen. Until then, a big shout out to Megan Daria. Thank you so much for being here and expressing your true opinions. And to everyone listening, 
I will see you online and I will see you for the next episode.